Welcome to those who are joining. You're listening to the 23rd episode of the FinTech Cafe. It's uh, brought to you every Wednesday by Manisha and myself. My name is Ambika. And every week we bring a CEO, founder, and executive team member of different FinTech companies to talk about how they're shaping the financial industry. And today we're joined by Kalpesh Kaparia. And uh, we're very excited because he also seems to have Bollywood connections. <laughs> we were just speaking for this call. So thank you for joining again. Thank you. Look just, forward to it. And uh, just a quick remark. First, uh, the format of the call is as following. The first 30 minutes, Bunish, you will ask questions. So we'll moderate. And in the second half, you can then come on stage and ask your question. Once um, we are recording today's call. So if you have any objections, please drop and lastly, uh, Munisha and I, we have full-time jobs. We work for one of the big banks here in the U.S. and are, is not associated with this show. And we're not endorsing any products either. Again, the end of this call is to cultivate a community of thought leadership within FinTech. So we'll take it off to Munisha for her introduction. Thank you, Ambika. And like Ambika mentioned, Monisha here, uh, also a part of the big bank uh, Ambika referenced. And very, very excited, Kalpesh, to have you uh, today. Without much um, further ado, uh, could I turn it over to you, Kalpesh, for an introduction? Thanks. Thanks, Manisha. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Kalpesh Kaparia, founder and CEO of Deserve. And our mission as Deserve is to modernize the credit card industry. Uh, we are based here in Palo Alto, uh, uh, California, headquartered. We have offices in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, Atlanta, uh, and in India, in Pune, and Bangalore. So about 200 people in the company. And I came I came uh, to the U.S. as a student 20, almost 27 years ago now. And uh, uh, did my master's in engineering, MBA, worked on Wall Street, and uh, started a hedge fund. And then I started this company after that. So since you came from Wall Street and investing, I'm curious to know how you came up with the inspiration to launch Deserve. Um, I was looking on your LinkedIn and uh, your vision was stated as following, which is you're in a vision to power the future of fintech through digital first, mobile centric, highly configurable API and SDK based credit card solution. That's very techy. So I'm curious to know how did you make your move from Wall Street to the tech side and also entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's quite a mouthful, but uh, uh, let me uh, address that. So I am an engineer by training. I did my bachelor's in uh, industrial engineering, master's in operational research, and then MBA in finance. And uh, uh, the genesis of deserves funding were uh, in my own personal journey as a student in uh, in the U.S. When I came here uh, for the first couple of years, even though I was uh, of a similar academic background and a financial background, I had trouble getting uh, established uh, in financially and, and getting uh, assimilated into the U.S. Uh, financial ecosystem, uh, particularly from the standpoint of credit cards and student loans and such, even though my American classmates took that for granted. And over the years, I saw many of my family members and friends come to study or work and the population was growing at 7% a year for straight 20 years, up until uh, Trump got elected. Uh, but uh, the need that they were facing were growing as, as students were coming from everywhere in the world. 
uh, and the banks were moving away from it for a few reasons. Uh, post 9-11, there were uh, regulations that changed as it relates to getting a social security number and such. And post-2008 crisis, uh, uh, Card Act was introduced, and uh, that made it increasingly difficult for banks to market credit products to, to college students. So I saw an opportunity, and I said, hey, people like myself, you know, at the time, not now, if you think about it, the top four software companies in the world are run by students who came here from India, Microsoft, uh, Google, Adobe, and IBM. So the quality of this population is very, very high. But when they initially come here, uh, they are discarded or made invisible by the credit system. And I thought there was an opportunity to address uh, this audience uh, to start with and then expand from there. So we went and talked to top 10 banks in the country. Uh, one of you, uh, you know, one of the banks was the, your employer. And we said, hey, we have this uh, solution to underwrite credit without the use of social security numbers or credit scores. Uh, and we have built a underwriting software, uh, workflow software, as well as uh, uh, algorithm uh, using alternative data. And everyone thought it was a cool idea, but uh, nobody wanted to take uh, the lead. Uh, in banks, as you know, both of you work at a bank, uh, there are many, many constituents that you have to convince. You know, it starts with uh, product and marketing and finance and credit risk and compliance and what have you. And uh, it just takes time to penetrate these big banks. So we said, you know what? Everyone thinks it's a great idea. It's a no-brainer. So they validated our idea, but they're not going to uh, go and do it on their own. So why don't we start uh, uh, we we uh, go and launch this product as a credit product in the market, and that's how we got started. And we launched our first we venture capital, and we launched our first credit card in in uh, April of 2016. And then the journey follows from there. So, what was your journey to discovering this customer pain point? I think the uh, what I call it a founder product fit. So as I described earlier, this was a problem that was faced by me. And uh, it is also faced by a lot of people like myself. So uh, that's your sort of initial uh, uh, product market fit, if you will, and uh, a founder product fit, what I uh, call. And then the question you need to ask is why this, which is, you know, I it was a problem that I faced and I wanted to solve it, much like, you know, Netflix uh, founder Reed Hastings had a problem with late fees charged by Blockbuster when he started a company. And, and there are other examples such as Uber and Facebook and others. So it comes out of your personal pain point. And if you notice that that pain point is faced by a lot of other people. Uh, so so why this is the question you answer. Why now? And why me? So I, I caught answers to all three questions. And then the question, the, the issue is, you know, you just go do it because a lot of people, ideas are like dime a dozen, right? Uh, and you need to go and just execute them. So that's what uh, drove me to start the company. Got it. And so because you didn't come from a tech background, I'm curious to know what was the experience of building the initial team and getting funding? 
Yeah, so I think the idea was compelling. Uh, you know, I'm a reasonably smart person um, traveling or trafficking in a good, good fertile area. So that's what initially venture capitalists look for. You know, is this the person who is passionate about the problem? Is this the market that is fertile for innovation and change? And you you get money from it. And once you have money, you know, people want to come and join you and, and work with you. And, you know, you need to sort of evangelize that vision you have and, uh, you know, inspire people to join. Uh, and, and and if they see the problem that you saw, the way you see it, it's easier if they are driven by your mission, it's easier to convince them to join you. Right. You make it very simple. <laughs> well, I'll give you credit. Um, so the next question I have before I hand it over to Manish. I, I think, I think uh, Ambika, yeah. I would just say simple is hard. So <laughs> yes. it's counterintuitive, but simple is hard. Uh, you built your questions, your solutions on cloud. Was that always part of your vision, especially the initial vision? And why cloud back in 2013, 2016, when you first launched? Well, I think we started with uh, a legacy solution, uh, COBOL mainframe-based solution, which is what 99% of the financial services industry is built on. And we quickly realized the limitations of COBOL mainframe solution, where it's everything is batch process, everything is overnight, uh, you know, everything is hard-coded. So we wanted to move away from that world. I think I read some statistics that by 2025, uh, three quarters of the world's COBOL programmers are going to be either dead or or retired. And it's a... uh, Y2K problem in the making, if you will, in the next three, four years, uh, the clock is ticking. Uh, so we wanted to move away from the legacy uh, infrastructure. And when you think about that, if you know every company that, uh, if you are selling to enterprise, if you're moving people into the cloud, if you're selling to consumers, you're moving people onto mobile. So we, we fit both those bills. You know, consumers are moving to mobile and companies are moving to cloud. So it would be foolish not to look at those two trends and, and capitalize on it. I mean, uh, the last big banks that was started uh, uh, was was uh, Goldman Sachs Marcus, and they uh, had a clean slate. They didn't have the legacy of uh, legacy of infrastructure. And uh, if you were to build a bank today, even if you ask Jamie Dimon, he would say he would build it in the cloud. Actually, I just saw today in the news that they are moving the core banking to the cloud. So it's kind of obvious. Yeah, you mentioned Goldman Sachs. So I guess um, one follow-up I have is Goldman Sachs is one of your investors along with Ali Financial and a few other big banks. What is it that they see in your company? Why are they investing, I guess? Yeah, and I think they launched Apple Card, as you know, in 2019. And they realized how hard it was to build a credit card from scratch. And here's the company that had built it uh, with the great efficiency and uh, uh, you know a, a similar approach and roadmap uh, we had taken, and they got excited about uh, working with us, so uh, they they became our investor. Got it. Thank you, Manisha. Over to you. All right. So, uh, Kalpesh, that was kind of uh, interesting when you said simple is hard. 
you have a pure play with credit as a focus, right? Really simple modal line in some ways. Is that intentional? And how do you define growth for deserve from there? Yeah, so uh, we are intentional about perfecting. If you think about credit card, it serves three distinct uh, functions, payments, rewards, and lending, loans, if you will. Right? Three product into one. It is a better way to make payments uh, than a debit card because there is no there's zero liability. You can just dispute a transaction. It builds credit. It earns you rewards. And it can still disperse loans easier than any other product. So we wanted to perfect, uh, uh, you know, digital and mobile experience uh, uh, on credit cards, which is based in the cloud and, and uh, has APIs and SDKs. So we thought that we should just perfect this product. And uh, the second part of your question was around why you know a uh, vertical uh, credit card if you will uh, 600 million are, uh, credit cards are in circulation in the us 3.4 per adult so it's a very large market just in the us alone uh, and still 99 percent of it still resides in legacy infrastructure got it and then kind of Double-clicking on the credit card piece, um, you offer B2B products, right, with your credit card as a service um, and your co-branded cards, and then B2C as well. Could you elaborate on why specifically these as your product offerings? So our company's focus is the majority, vast majority of it is in B2B. Uh, if you think about how Amazon did AWS, they built AWS for internal storage and, and management. And then they uh, made a big business out of it. It was not obvious in the beginning that this would be the infrastructure that people would use to build companies on. So uh, we built our uh, direct-to-consumer credit card first, and we had a lot of learnings, and we continue to innovate and do R&D in that product. So it's a, think of it as a reference design, like Google has a Pixel phone. They are not the largest Android player, but Pixel is the reference design for the rest of the industry, like Samsung or LG or Huawei and others. Similarly, our B2C product is where we see what's possible. We keep pushing the boundaries. We keep pushing the edge on what's possible. So digital first would be a great example uh, of a challenge that we took on, uh, where we uh, promise you end-to-end within five minutes from applying for the card to using the card uh, within five minutes. Uh, and uh, there is no single paper, plastic, checks, batch processing in our infrastructure. So you can make, you can be living entirely on your phone. And I think that's the future, if you will. Very cool. And specifically around product ideation and innovation, um, what are some of the potential challenges you've encountered along the way, knowing that you're definitely groundbreaking, right, in some of the things that you've been doing? Yeah, so I think there is a rich roadmap ahead of us in terms of what can we do next. Uh, and you can keep pulling the thread on innovation with, you know, uh, does this belong? Did we lose Kalpesh? 
I think uh, so. You know, uh, we believe that in five years, uh, most people are not going to carry plastic in their wallet. Everything is going to be sucked into your phone. And when you talk about plastic, uh, you know, that's the most complex and redundant part of the supply chain that is a pain for most banks. There's a shortage of metal cards or plastic cards or chips or things of that sort. So in five years, I think that uh, it will remind you of Netflix shipping you DVD in year 2000. Uh, nobody's going to care. Uh, people are going to use software and uh, they're going to interface with their credit card through their phone. So uh, on the product ideation, it's sort of you have a roadmap, you see what's next, what next. Crypto is another big area that we are working on. So that's that's exciting. Could you talk to us about the crypto space? I know you guys recently announced a partnership with BlockFi for crypto, crypto rewards. So could you tell us more about this space? I think we are barely scratching the surface. Uh, when we looked at, uh, there were a number of uh, players who had announced a crypto debit card. And when you do a survey in the marketplace, you know people don't like to spend their Bitcoin. It's mainly considered a store of value or digital gold or what have you. And uh, when you are launching debit card, then there's uh, a conversion to stable coin and then spend, and you know that's not efficient. Uh, people like to get introduced to Bitcoin. They see the volatility. They're like, oh, you know, it goes from eight thousand to sixty thousand to thirty thousand to fifty thousand. So people are scared of buying Bitcoin. So this is a very very compelling way to introduce people to Bitcoin. You don't have to do anything different. You use your credit card just the way you do, and you earn rewards in Bitcoin or Ether or what other, whatever other uh, uh, crypto coins you, you want to convert into. So that's the first part. Another part is that uh, when you make a payment on your credit card and you both work for a large bank and you see that uh, the credit line gets refreshed the next day or the day after, depending on how quickly your payment clears, uh, if I can accept payments in stablecoin, you can instantaneously refresh your credit line or replenish your line. So you, you, know, you can use your card much more frequently and uh, easily. So that's the payment, then you can have settlement. So if you think about everything that has been built on fiat currency is gonna get rebuilt on crypto. And that's the whole theme of decentralized finance. Uh, and uh, you know, Visa and MasterCard are both really at the cutting edge of uh, this trend. Banks are probably five years behind uh, when it comes to crypto. Networks have realized that we need to get ahead of the curve. So both of these uh, players have made dramatic moves in the last year or so in the crypto space. And we were the first credit card to have launched uh, with uh, crypto rewards. In fact, only credit card so far. Uh, where it's pure play crypto rewards. I mean, there are others who have announced a, a, one of the redemption options with the crypto, but those are not doing well. If you look at BlockFi credit card, uh, I don't want to sort of give numbers, but uh, it is rivaling American Express, Centurion, Black card in terms of spend. 
I think we heard some numbers around that. Uh, so that's interesting. From As a rewards currency, it sounds like customers are really taking to crypto. And then the whole payment settlement side of thing called Beige, is that still early days and trying to figure out customer adoption on that front? Yeah, I mean, if you are in the crypto ecosystem, you more than likely have an account with Coinbase or Gemini or BlockFi or FTX or, you know, uh, Celsius and others. Then you, you can have some stable coins and you can make instant payments on your card and use the card right away. So it's still early on, on sort of the payments and settlement, but uh, on the reward side, yes, there is a lot of meter products that are going to come out. Great. Another fascinating partnership is your recent announcement with Marketa. I know we hosted Marketa as well on the call. Curious about how that partnership works within the payment stack um, of the issuer and network and everything else in that ecosystem. Um, and then also, what are those potential use cases that you're unlocking through that partnership? So as I said, you know, we are building the cloud. Marketa is building the cloud. We are API-centric, they are API-centric. We're both here in the Bay Area, and the DNA is similar in the company, and they were looking at entering credit card space, and we were in the credit card space, so we collaborated, and we are launching M1 Card in a couple of weeks here with them uh, that we are really proud of. And, uh, you know, uh, they do certain things, and we do other things, so it's a very complementary partnership between uh, Deserve and Mercado on, on uh, modernizing the credit card stack, if you will. Great. Thank you. And then final question on partnership. Um, MasterCard, you've mentioned Visa and MasterCard. MasterCard is one of your investors as well. Um, how, do, how do you continue to build out through that uh, partnership uh, with the network? Yeah, so we launched a digital first card on MasterCard and we are certified uh, like Apple Card is for a digital first approach. What it means is you can apply for the product and get approved potentially and start using the product within five minutes. And we are, think of us as the Android to the Apple car because Apple is not gonna give their technology to others. So we provide that Apple-like experience to the rest of the world if, with, with the help from MasterCard. Got it, thank you. And then uh, one last question I have before we turn it over to the audience is we wanted to get your views on BNPL. It's a hot, hot take right now. Um, it's a huge trend. Billions are being thrown at it. So how do you view the space of BNPL and uh, how are you positioning deserve around this space? Yeah, so when uh, it came on, on the scene about five, six years ago, uh, one of my friends used to joke on Wall Street that BNPL is like a three-legged pants. You know, uh, you're selling three-legged pants, so you have to find people with three legs uh, to wear those pants. And uh, it was nothing but a form of a layaway that Sears had pioneered in, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But over time, especially during pandemic, it took off. And I really believe that it belongs as a feature on the card some point and I think uh, you sh it's irresponsible for people to buy small ticket purchases uh, on BNPL and I think 
there are two types of people who would do that. One is who are afraid of getting into debt and they know that they can make four payments and be done with it. So it's simple product construct. There are others who are not getting access to credit cards, but they do want to buy this stuff. Uh, and I think I worry about the latter where uh, you're buying things and you know, you're adding on debt um, by buying things on payment plan. Before you know it, you have like 50 different items and uh, you're making payments on those items. So I, I really uh, worry about where the risk lies in the system on the BNPL stuff. But having said that, it's a cool innovative feature on the card and we are incorporating it in the card. Sorry, I was speaking on mute. Got it. Thank you. Um, I do want to ask one last one. Uh, sorry, but that one's on the future of Visa and MasterCard in today's evolving payments, which may bypass the middlemen. So just curious to also get your take on the future of Visa and MasterCard. That's a loaded question. <laughs> I think probably it's above my pay grade. Uh, I don't believe that they are not middlemen. I believe that they are the bottom layer of the cake, if you will. It's like saying uh, iOS and Android or Windows and, and Mac. Uh, these, are, these are the operating system for global finance. Uh, I think the threat to those two companies would come from the, the crypto industry and they recognize that threat uh, and they are getting ahead of it by investing heavily. I mean, Visa didn't have uh, more than two or three people in crypto group. Now they have a 50-person group. So does MasterCard. So I do believe that they recognize the future threats to their duopoly, and they are always you know, investing in technology and adopting the future and embracing the future. Right. Lots of mergers and acquisitions uh, recently by Visa, so I agree. Uh, we have two minutes. Manisha, if you have a question you want to ask, otherwise we can open it up to the audience. Um, I'm always excited when we have a founder on. Um, so one of the questions that uh, we tend to kind of uh, ask to understand better, right, Kalpesh, what is in your, um, how you operate. Curious about your leadership style uh, within Deserve and how it's evolved. Clearly you've been there from the start where all hands on deck to a much more stable point right now. Um, so could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think uh, it sort of goes back to personal qualities that you develop uh, and they project into your leadership style. So if you will, uh, I am a very persistent individual uh, and I believe that uh, things don't get easier or more forgiving, you just get more stronger and more resilient facing problems because startup life is a roller coaster. So uh, you need to be persistent and you need to be resilient. Uh, so that's the first thing that I uh, practice, if you will, or is in second nature to me. And I'm also a very optimistic uh, individual. So that also uh, reflects in how I uh, manage. And then the last thing I have is the self-awareness and situational reality. So uh, you always want to be self-aware and not drink your own Kool-Aid all the time. And you need to be aware of the situation and sort of react uh, to the situation. Uh, you know, play the cards you're dealt with, not wish that you had better cards. So that's how I operate. 
Okay, thank you. Let's open it up to the audience. Sorry, you had a little glitch there. Um, so I think, Kuram, you're already on stage, but just a minute. Let me just make the announcement to everyone. If you'd like to ask a question, you have two options. One is you can raise your hand. There's an icon in the bottom right. It looks like a hand. You can click on that button and we'll bring you up on stage and you can ask your question directly. Or you can also message it to us via text. Um, so you can use the back channel feature. It's like an icon like a plane. If you click on that, then uh, you can message me or Manisha and we'll read the question for you. So with that, Kuram, hi, welcome. Could you introduce yourself and then ask your question? Absolutely. I was super excited. I'm the first one on the stage. Yay. Well, I'm loving the conversation you guys are having. I'm a marketing uh, I'm a professional. I work with global brands uh, and I'm an entrepreneur who has a keen interest uh, in fintech. So I love the space you guys are doing, first of all. I mean, I've got at least two or three different questions for Kalpesh. Uh, which is one, uh, you spoke about a lot of partnerships. So what do you look for when you're partnering with the big boys? What is your top three recommendations for a new company, a startup that, you know, would be looking to partner with a bigger company? That's my first question. My second is, uh, again, kind of related to the first one, which is, what do you recommend to a new fintech company who is just starting out? They have found their niche, but they are building up, uh, you know, their their uh, strategy. So what would be your biggest uh, advice to them? And the third one is, what do you see, uh, again, kind of related because I'm doing my, my startup, uh, my fintech startup. Uh, is there a recommendation uh, geographically that you see uh, that you would say, hey, this is where I think if you're starting off, this is a city or this is a geographic location that you should be in? I'm done. Thank you. So great, great question. Thanks, Kuram. I think the first question around what do you look for in a partnership, it highly depends on the context. Is this a revenue partnership? Is it a uh, you know a partner that is going to reduce costs for you or you know uh, make your infrastructure more efficient? So it all depends on you know uh, are you selling to a partner? Are you buying something from them? Are you using their product into your stack? So various uh, types of partnerships. And I think what you need to look for is is it a net positive for both sides you know it's a win-win for both sides in any partnership if it's a win-lose that it's not going to work out uh, you may get some short-term benefit from it but you will harm yourself longer term sure. uh, in terms of your second question is uh, advice to the company uh, i think it's ship and launch you know i think let the market tell you you know, uh, what, what's selling. And, you know, it's like dog is eating the dog food, then you don't have much of a problem. So you, you need to experiment and ship and evolve and adapt. And, you know, uh, don't, don't be married to something you started with because things always change. So people are sometimes dogmatic. 
I mean, they mistake that for focus. I don't think that most founders are not focused. They are all focused, but they also realize uh, that that uh, whatever is selling is what we need to do more of. Got in it. terms of your third question about geography, I think in the post-COVID world, I don't think there is, you know, you could be sitting anywhere in the world with a great internet connection and a, a strong, uh, you know, a powerful computer or phone, and you can build a company from anywhere in the world. And, and one more, it, it quickly, if I could just add in one more point that you made uh, about the number of credit cards within the states, uh, you said it is going to look like how Netflix was sending out DVDs. We know uh, that everybody is now kind of switching on to uh, the mobile space for fintech, but don't you think it's getting crowded as well? Yeah, any field that is lucrative is going to get crowded. So uh, you just have to find differentiation within that crowd. Why, why are you different? What are you doing that is so unique? Why should people buy your product? Why should people invest in your company? Why should people come and work for you? So you do ask that question, why? Got it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, Kurt. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, keep the over to you if you want to introduce yourself and ask a question. Thank you, Ambika. Uh, hi, everyone. Oh, and hi, uh, Kalpesh. This is Kirti. Uh, I'm a risk management prof professional, and uh, I've been uh, build both building and validating credit models. Uh, I had a couple of questions for you. So first of all is I wanted to understand more and uh, sorry for asking this if I don't understand very clearly that uh, once you're uh, doing a credit card on whose books does the loan under, uh, lie? Is it like the bank or your partner or is it uh, the loan is on your books? And second, like uh, who's then doing the risk management framework of uh, it as well? It's your partner banks or is it you? Uh, the third question I had is like uh, uh, building models like data is a key component where uh, data is missing or data is lacking where, what I have experienced in building models. And I believe so far that the U.S. has the best uh, data available uh, for building models. And when you're saying that international students like how do you get the data to kind of build a model to say that its credit score is X or Y or Z? considering the fact that uh, international geographies don't have that much data at all. And uh, fourth or last is then what is, if you could give a high level overview of uh, your, uh, uh, the way you're doing it, like some pointers to what alternative way are you using to build the credit? And uh, geography wise, like which geography consists of uh, the highest number of users in terms of student base? Lots so, of questions, Kalpesh. Usually yeah. we don't have people with three or four questions, but this is popular today. So if you remember, Keith, you might have to uh, take it. No, I, I remember. I, I, I okay. wrote it down, all the questions. So let me start okay. from the reverse. Uh, first is, you know, we, we are much more than internationally. This is how we started. And I mentioned that, that the companies evolve and adapt. And, you know, we are much bigger now than where we started as an international student credit card. And, uh, I think there we uh, use the alternative data that is a proxy for someone's credit behavior. 
So uh, we have bank deposit data, uh, cash flow data, uh, financial discipline data, where you're making regular payments on something that uh, you're buying, even rent payment data. So there's a lot of proxy for eventually good credit behavior. Income, there's proxy for income. So, you know, are you, you have certain uh, level of education that will yield you a job, you know, uh, so, so it depends on your income, your assets, your financial discipline. So all of those things are combined into a model uh, to, to uh, understand. Uh, so I think it's not one thing. Uh, it's also identity data, uh, stability of identity data. So a lot of those things. Your, your first two questions were around uh, whose books the risk lies on, and it depends on the partnership. If you build a card for a large bank, they have a balance sheet. What we do for them is implement their underwriting strategy or underwriting policy into the workflow. So we don't make the decision. We facilitate or enable decision. We create origination flow. And then uh, in the case of if not a bank, it's a partner like BlockFi or, or others. We have balance sheet partnerships with Credit Suisse and, and Goldman Sachs. So we we, we built uh, the balance sheet partnership with them. So those are the uh, four answers. Uh, the next, Amika, next question. Got it. Keithi, was that good or uh, did you have any follow-up? Uh, that was good. Thank you so much, Kalpe. Thank you. Wonderful. That Thank was you, helpful. Thank you. Uh, Sylvester, over to you if you want to introduce yourself and ask your question. Hi, Kapesh. Thanks for being here today. And by way of introduction for everybody here, I'm Sylvester. I recently graduated from Harvard Business School and I'm working on my own fintech startup too. And what we're doing is we're seeking to reimagine the financial mobility for international. So it's in a relevant space. And I promise to ask only one question. So the question that I have is, what do you envision for cross-border financial mobility, especially with the world becoming more connected and people are moving around so much, especially from Deserve's perspective? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, banks, credit bureaus uh, are all balkanized. So financial data, especially people are moving all over the world, but financial data is not moving. Why? Because you saw that MasterCard got slapped uh, on the wrist or actually got banned for moving the financial data into the U.S. from India. So uh, uh, um, China is not allowing the data of their users, uh, especially financial data, uh, to be going outside the country. So very large countries are not allowing data to be portable. So unless the user takes the data with the, with them everywhere. So or user obtain permission data is very, very powerful and Plaid is built on that, that you provide permission to, to Plaid to transport your bank deposit data, credit card data to another bank. So Europe has open API, open banking standards. Uh, US doesn't have open banking standards, but uh, Plaid is making it possible. Finicity is making it possible. Amex is making it possible. Uh, so I think that uh, the, the DeFi world is where you're going to see the real benefit of 
people moving around. But if you look at the top-down regulatory world, it's not a very conducive climate for movement of data. Thank you. Thanks, Sylvester. And Brian, over to you. You're on mute if you're trying to speak. Uh, there is uh -huh. a mute. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. So my name is Brian. I work in the PMO at a large bank. And personally, one of the biggest things that keeps me from fully embracing the digital wallet is needing a physical copy of one or two things on my person. Here for me, it's my driver's license. Let's just say that you run into somebody and you have a conversation like the question I just raised. What would your thoughts be to that? Some of those final physical things that hold people back from fully embracing digital wallet. So that's a great question, Brian. I think Apple, I know, uh, consider if you talk to Jennifer Bailey that they did not want to have a physical card at all. But then they looked at so many scenarios like gas stations or restaurants where uh, you can't, you know, restaurants do allow, but gas stations are still sort of on the old rails where you have to insert the chip uh, or, or max stripe and then enter your uh, zip code to pump gas. So uh, Apple just recently announced last week or two weeks ago that eight states are piloting driver license to be incorporated in your uh, iPhone. So that trends are in your favor when you talk about ditching your wallet but carrying your, I, I mean, you can't pry my iPhone out of my dead hands. So uh, that is going to happen uh, over time. There are companies like Clear that are carrying your digital identity. I just got my vaccination uh, data on to Clear. Uh, I'm attending a few conferences. So uh, these trends are happening. It's just the security concerns that people have. And the more and more companies like Apple or Clear or others are making that possible, uh, it's going to happen. So I can't wait to ditch my wallet. Me neither. Thank you. All right. Next on stage, we have Anand. Welcome. Uh, if you don't mind, a quick introduction. And uh, we'd love to hear your question. Yeah. Hi. Uh, this is Anand here. Kalpesh and I know each other well. Um, and uh, I'm just at, and uh, we have talked a lot. So, But for the benefit of the larger group, uh, Kalpesh, I uh, hope you're well. Um, just had a couple of things. One is I recently visited India and uh, I was amazed to see how the payments, you know, even in um, large hotels, when you just visit on a um, on a cab, you know, the payments are being transferred through Google Pay and phone pay and other things very easily. And the adoption is very high. Um, and if that transpires in like Southeast Asia everywhere, do you see do you see a, a, a real threat to credit cards over time? Um, and the second question is, you know, from your company's perspective, obviously scaling is, is very important. How do you see that? I mean, do you eventually see being, say, a part of, uh, you know, JP Morgan or Goldman, or do you see yourself growing uh, independently? Uh, what's your thoughts? Thanks, Anand. Uh, and uh, good to speak to you again. I, I think on India, I mean, I observe the similar trends. I think India has a UPI infrastructure which is made a uh, need for cards uh, redundant, if you will. Uh, everybody has a mobile wallet like a Paytm or Google yeah. Pay and others. So peer-to-peer -peer payments 
uh, or even merchant payments are also transferred via UPI. Yeah. Uh, there is a uh, card system is about 15 or 20 million people have credit cards and, uh, you know, they have three or four cards. So there's a similar dynamics as here. But mm. when you travel overseas is where that becomes an issue. And most affluent people are global travelers uh, from India. So mm. in, within India, it might work. Uh, but, you know, there's a still... Uh, a need for card payments, uh, and then uh, you know there there could be uh, a clever way to uh, you know insert yourself in terms of the loans, right? I mean, payment is one use case for cards. Rewards yeah. is another use case, and third is loans. So if you can disperse loans via card, uh, right now I mean EMI is a flavor of PNPL or BNPL is a flavor of EMI from India. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, those, those are some of the trends that we are watching in India. Uh, and I think the same is true for Southeast Asia, other countries where credit cards were not the prevalent mode. Uh, they kind of leapfrogged that system of payment. Correct. And then in, and to your second question around, do we see ourselves becoming part of uh, uh, Chase or Chase or uh, Goldman or something. I mean, it's you can never say never, but we still see, you know, a roadmap to growing for 10, 20 years, uh, just doing what we're doing. So we don't feel like, you know, we've uh, saturated the market or anything like that. And we don't feel that uh, the minimum efficient scale at which we operate is we're already achieving that. Okay. So. Fair enough. No, the reason, the only reason I asked was, you know, recently JP Morgan, Amex have all made purchases and, and it, they might find it that this is the way to grow. So just thought, you know, I asked the question. But thank you very much. Um, Ambika is yours again. Thank you, Anand. And Manish, I think we have one question from the back channel if you want to read it. Yeah, we have a couple of back channel questions. The first one uh, comes from James, who's in the audience, uh, Kopesh, and uh, he is a software engineer within FinTech. Um, he's curious about your outlook on uh, the co-branded space. You know, it has become a very crowded market. Uh, so where do you think that is in terms of growth or loyalty concept at least? So I don't know why people say it's become crowded. Everything is crowded. You know, email is, a, uh, you would think that email was like 20 years ago, 30 years ago technology. There are email startups are still emerging, right? Uh, I think uh, there was one called Superhuman or something. So you wouldn't think the world would need another email company. So I just don't know why people think such and such or this market is crowded or that market is crowded. Uh, you know, crypto is crowded. People say, well, yeah, but crypto, how many people own crypto in the world? So it's still very, very early days. Internet is crowded. You know, I, I just don't buy that. In the co-branded space, uh, there have been players, legacy players. You have companies like ADS and Synchrony and, you know, Chase has a large market share in co-brand space and Barclays and others. So, uh, there's still room for differentiation, room for innovation. So, you know, if, if you had this view, then you'll never start a company because everything is crowded. The world is crowded. Great. Thank you. And so you still feel like there's a play for loyalty? 
Um, I mean, if you if you ask if you ask American Express when they lost Costco, <laughs> and they sign up Delta, they will tell you how painful it is to you know uh, Costco grow eight hundred percent the next year, and Delta didn't fly any planes you know during COVID, so uh, there is still a lot of room. Right. Thank you. And then the other question I have from again our audience Sifat, who is um, who works in Canada actually, so a bit of an international flavor to his question. Um, he asks if there are any plans of entering the Canadian market. Um, if so, what sort of challenges do you anticipate uh, in allowing Canadians and Americans to establish cross-border credit? Yeah, uh, we have been approached by a number of players, large banks fintech companies in Canada to do a credit card. I think just uh, uh, some regulation, some credit data is different than the U.S., but nothing that different that we can't handle it. So stay tuned. Got it. And then one question I have, Kotej, that we didn't get to ask you, and I would like to use the time now, and that is, if you were to be wildly successful, um, let's say, you know, especially because you mentioned open banking and we talked about UPI uh, in India, let's say wildly successful worldwide, um, what would you have enabled the world to be? I think ditching plastic. Got it. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay, that's simple. I mean, still using credit cards, but not using plastic. Got it. So how do you expect to scale your platform? Uh, given that cards are largely still with big banks. So how do we get you to meet your, to achieve your vision, which is nobody should be using plastic in, let's say, 15 years from now? Yeah, I mean, you know, Tesla started with selling 1,000 cars, you know, and uh, uh, General Motors and, and Toyota were selling 10 million cars, cars. So that's the same thing with the banking industry. Very large banks are selling so many cards, but they are not doing the right way. So if we can show the right way of doing it digitally, doing it mobile, doing it API-centric, doing it SDK, doing it in the cloud, we would have moved the industry forward. Got it. And then one other question is, if I were a bank and I would like to partner with you, uh, what what do those discussions look like? I know somebody earlier asked, what do you look for in a partnership? But if I were a bank wanting to just have an initial conversation, what should that angle be? Yeah, I mean, you want to modernize your credit card and to compete with Apple. You'll be talking to us. Uh, you, you know, your consumers are demanding better experience. Uh, if you think about it, uh, they no longer want to do banking. I mean, most Gen Zs and, uh, uh, you know, people who are just entering the uh, financial world, or uh, they don't know the legacy banks. They want to bank with their tech companies. So that's the thing that banks have to worry about. They are not going to go and open a deposit account once they get a job. They would have already had an account with the teenage banking uh, that they have started with. Got it. And you, uh, do you have any plans, especially in your product roadmap, around offering this plastic or this service for uh, minors, let's say 14 to 17-year-olds? That would be a debit card. I mean, there is, our infrastructure can handle debit card, but 
we you know the economics have to work for us to offer something got it. okay well thank you um last question is around employment if someone were to be interested uh how should they reach out to you um i know you have your cto also in the audience and we have a lot of software engineers as well so any shout out for any roles that you're looking for you're hiring just send your resume to deserve uh, we have a number of posts on linkedin we have a a uh, page on our website that you can apply so we are hiring across the board got it hey ambika i think we do have alex on stage oh okay hi alex uh do you want to introduce yourself and ask your question we have a few minutes sure i'll, I'll try to be quick here and really this is just i just want to um get your your angle um kalpesh on your just uh how how you fight the uh um the conservative, the fear in, the, in, in, in like banking around making changes and moving into new technology. I know, uh, I mean, just your point earlier about um, the use of COBOL and legacy systems, you know, obviously a lot of banks use, still use Hogan. And I just, I'm curious how you get around, um, what have you found works works for, for you as you've been kind of making the sell to, uh, um, to get, uh, basically conservative banks and, and conservative financial companies to make the shift. Yeah, I think the best chance is when somebody is starting a de novo program. As I said earlier, you'd be foolish not to look at modern infrastructure if you were starting a de novo card program. That's our best bet. Then the second is where, you know, they are moving. They are moving from one uh, legacy to another legacy. You can get in there. A third is if they're doing a co-brand card, which doesn't sort of uh, disrupt their day-to-day card. Well, we do provide a brownfield conversion, deconversion services. Uh, so uh, we are open to that. But yeah, there is a lot of inertia. But, uh, you know, it's like someone once said to me, they're not a boiling frog. They're uh, melting glaciers, these banks are. So uh, it will take time, but there's a lot of ground to be covered. So we, we can insert ourselves into the flow where we can digitize part of the problem, not the whole problem. So we have modular solutions within our infrastructure that you can start with A, B, or C. You don't have to have it all. Good point. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. And Talita, hi. Uh, did you also have a question? Yeah, hi. Um, yes, I would like yeah, building on Alex's question. Um, how do you see how do you see your customer segments? And um, do you have a sweet? Um, have you found a sweet spot? Yeah, I mean, we we organize our customer segment in three large buckets: financial institution, which is I call FIs or banks, fintechs, and brands. So we clearly have a a sweet spot in fintechs because they love working with our APIs and they love the self-service model. Banks is, as uh, I was answering Alex's question, it's a long cycle, uh, sales cycle. And then, but once you're in, you're in. So that's the answer. I hope I answered the question. Yep. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Thalita. So, Kapesh, that's all the questions we have. Any closing remarks from you? No, I enjoyed our conversation and 
this you guys are really great uh, this is a 23rd show so good luck with many more to come and very insightful thanks so much for joining us um insightful for us indeed to hear from you directly uh kalpesh uh, so appreciate you taking time of your evening agree and thanks for everyone for joining us on stage and also tonight for to for listening in um just one last announcement that we have is next week uh we will be actually live at mx in salt lake city so mx uh we've hosted them i think about 6 weeks ago they're host they're having their conference which is called mx experience summit so we will be at that conference and uh they've given us a code if you like to join virtually uh you can go to our website and then they'll give you the code to register for free uh it's basically fintech cafe that's the code to register for free and the conference is next week So thank you to Megan and David who are in the audience for giving us this code. Um so hopefully we'll see you next week from MX. Thank you everyone. Have a good evening.